Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. This is another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And really interested, and I think you guys will be highly excited to hear from our guest today. He is like David and I, and that he is a fellow mind reader. And so he's going to talk about how we can cut through that mental noise, and we're going to do a lot of imaging, I'm sure, reimagining all the possibilities that you may be overlooking. Even, I'm sure, he may enlighten David and I about some things that we may be overlooking. And I am really interested in introducing Jonathan Pritchard. He's the author of Think Like a Mind Reader. So he's ahead of us, David, in that he already has his book out there, his new business card about being a mind reader. Uh, Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jonathan Pritchard to the podcast. Hey, hey, glad to be here, guys. Yeah, glad to have you. Yeah, I think this is going to be fun. Just a little bit before we got on, it was like, uh oh, we could kind of tell when we have kindred spirits on the phone. And so I'm like, oh, man, just reading your bio, and I have so many questions, and I don't even know you, so I don't want to be a fanboy or anything, but I think it's going to go well. (laughs) I, I have to warn you, I'm entirely susceptible to flattery, that will get you everywhere with me, so have at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the things that um, I may – I think the, the funnier or the greater stuff is about thinking about a mind reader that I want to delve into. But for the audience's sake, I want to go a little bit over your background in that you know, you've kind of rubbed shoulders with the who's who in the quote-unquote mind reader realm. Uh, you consulted with Chris Angel. And you've been, you've traveled the world being a mentalist and a mind reader. You've entertained all over the world. You've entertained in Vegas as well. And I'm sure that everyone may or may not be in their right mind when they're in Vegas. So that may have been your easiest project. <laughs> but I'd like more, for more you to talk. <laughs> or, yes, 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 yes. Um, so let's go. Let's talk about how Jonathan Pritchard could be the shy person not raising his eyes at anyone as a little tyke in the tall mountains of North Carolina, to being the outspoken author, well-known person that you are today. Man, when you put all of those things together, I sound awesome. Like that, <laughs> I want to be that guy. <laughs> totally amazing. Like, I, w- I want to be him every day. That, that, would, that would be fantastic. Yeah, you can't wait to meet this guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm 90% sure I'm going to want to punch him in the stomach. But, like, he is so obnoxious. <laughs> just turn it down just for a minute, please? Good Lord, we're trying to have lunch. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so I wasn't always so obnoxious. You are correct. Uh, I grew up as a super shy kid, like really. And that's really tough for people to appreciate who didn't know me back then. So they just go, oh, it's just so easy for you because you're just so, 
you're just so gregarious. And, and I sometimes say, yes, I'm professionally gregarious, right? If I'm not getting paid to be outgoing, I don't talk to people. <laughs> that's, that's just not how I roll. So it, it's, uh, it's like I, I am introverted. Like I would rather stay at home doing nothing, talking to nobody, but that doesn't really pay the bills. And that doesn't get me, that doesn't get me what I want. And early on, I realized it's the people who could speak up for themselves and advocate for their own success and what they wanted. Those are the people that tended to get what they want. And if I didn't speak up for myself, I couldn't blame anybody else for not doing it either. So I realized that, you know what, I'm going to have to learn how to be my own best friend and advocate. So when I was 13, I learned how to juggle from my dad. I went to a summer program. It was just at the local recreation center on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. And the, the guy that ran the place was an old retired street performer. So he, he's essentially a clown and knew a whole bunch of circus stuff. So he taught me how to juggle pins. And then like six months later, he taught me how to juggle fire. So I was juggling fire when I was 13 years old. And that's a really unique spot to be in because when you're juggling fire as a kid, you get positive reinforcement from people. Like, oh my God, what? That is crazy. That's incredible. How do you do that? But I don't have to say anything. I don't have to engage anybody. So it wasn't like I was putting myself on the line. I was just doing something I could do. And then I got positive reinforcement for it. And then Randall, my, my first mentor, uh, taught me all of his scripts and all of his bits of business and his jokes and his gags and things to say when you drop something, right? You plan for all eventualities. So I learned really early on the value of having a mentor who's been there and done that, who can, one, show you the way and two, give you immediate feedback on how to improve without having to spend years not figuring it out on your own. So, so that was kind of, you know, using his scripts and doing what he did, getting the results he got. And I go, oh, I'm getting the laughs where he is. All right, great. This is fantastic. And then once you have that script, that's your, your home base right? Now you can free yourself up and be more in the moment and improv a little bit. And if it goes great, you run with it. If it doesn't go great, you abandon and go right back to your script. So the, the outgoing stuff really just came from the confidence of competence, of being really good at something and then being able to lean on that and then carrying that state into other domains of life is that's the short answer. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And, and just as a side note, this is, will be the only whippersnapper comment that I'll have on the podcast. <laughs> but I want to ask, I, I want to talk about Randall a little bit because, as I said, only one time, and then I'll leave it alone, guys. But what made you, as a 13-year-old, compared to maybe 13-year-olds today, wink, wink, what made you go out mm -hmm. and seek the mentorship and actually leverage that relationship 
And what are you seeing similarities with that today as far as what you focus on, you, it expands, or are you seeing the contrast that a lot of people may not be uh, seeking mentors, hence they may not be seeking you out and they could miss out on the world of experience? That's a great point. And uh, first part is that that mentorship specifically, that one, I lucked into it. My mom organized it and like, here, get out of my hair. Just leave me alone, right? <laughs> uh, at least on Tuesdays and Thursdays, be out of the house. So I lucked into that one. The, the mentor that I actively sought out is James Randi, who had a million-dollar challenge to anybody who claimed to be genuinely psychic. Um, and he was coming to my college to do a lecture, and he was huge in the magic world. And I went, oh, my God, I have to meet this guy. Right? So my background as a mentalist and, and being interested in mind-reading tricks and, uh, and being a mind-reader, I was like, oh, he's a legend in the magic world, so I have to, I have to meet this guy. And I wound up cutting classes for two days to hang out with him while he was on campus giving talks and stuff. And we hit it off well. And I remember there was a moment where I was sitting there and I realized, you know what? If I want this to be an opportunity, I'm going to have to ask for it. He's not going to just give me a job. So I asked him I straight up, hey, Randy, do you need any help over the summers? I'm sure I could write an independent study through the school and get college credit for it, maybe even some funding so it won't cost you anything, but I can come down, stay at the foundation, work with you every summer, and help you with paperwork, sweeping, whatever it is that you need, I can do it. And he just goes, yeah, you're hired. <laughs> so, so it sounds simple that, yeah, all right, come on board. But one, you have to recognize the potential for the opportunity, and two, you have to make it valuable to the person who could make it happen for you, to make it happen for you. And then three, you've got to actually ask for it. So many people get upset about things they never get that they never asked for. They expect everybody else in their lives to be, to be mind readers. Well, you know how I feel about that. You know what I think about that. Like, actually, I don't. Like, you are familiar with you because you've grown up with you your whole life. You know what? I've just known you three years. That's, that's a long time to get to, to be familiar with somebody, but I can't see inside your head. Nobody can. So people's desire for their friends to be mind readers is a drive to abdicate their responsibility to voice their own opinions, wants, and needs, Right. So, so that's kind of the, the first part of the problem is everybody believes they're either a mind reader or everybody else should be a mind reader. But nowadays, you know, back when I was growing up, my whippersnapper <laughs> thing, right? it's like I, I grew up with card catalogs and reading at the library after school every day until mom was off, off work. So I, I spent time at the library. That, that's how I grew up, right? But nowadays... With all the world's information and knowledge at your fingertips, you've got the false sense of expertise all the time. So people confuse knowing where to find the information 
with being good at using that information. So all of their world is virtual and digital. And oh my goodness, they only 70 people liked my Facebook post. It should have been 130. Oh, my life is over. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So much anxiety is spent on the digital version of your life instead of working on the base layer reality version. And that's the one that leads to happiness and fulfillment and meaningful connection. First, you can build a digital version of you. You can have digital connections. But if you don't know how to make connections in real life, those virtual ones are going to be lacking that dimension. So many people don't even know how to make friends online and haven't the first clue how to do it in meet space. So you're, you're actually hitting a great point that there are so few people who understand the value of having a coach, of having real-life one-on-one feedback from somebody who could help you level up. Everybody is like, no, I'll just Google it. Well, I'll watch a YouTube video on it, right? And, and they're just wasting so much time when it's time that's the most valuable resource if you know how to transmute it into value for other people. Absolutely. And there is a saying that it's the end of the world and there is an argument. You can make the argument because you have people with their heads down walking amongst the streets, their heads aren't even up. So you're like, are they a zombie? And they're, they're tethered to that electronic device that we're talking on right now. But I do right. want to, I mean, oh, no, I slid that whippersnapper one, number two in there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all but right. I, I, I won't hold you to it. Thanks. Thanks. I, I do want to ask you, I want to stay with James Randy for a second because you had a lot of nuggets in there. And our, our second podcast, I think this is 86 now, but our second podcast, we were talking about Godwinks. And James Randi was obviously one for you, and you knew his radio station. And by his radio station, we always talk about WIIFM, which is W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me. And you already knew that he was a giant in his industry. What else did you do to tune into his radio station so he knew that you weren't just looking for a handout? Weirdly, he grilled me for two days. I, I, I was kind of his shepherd. Whoever it was that was supposed to show him around on campus, he, he, after the first 10 minutes, that I, I got to escort him from the on-campus hotel to where he was going to have a luncheon. And then what was supposed to happen is hand him off to the next person to take him to the next engagement. But we hit it off so well in that 10 minutes that he goes, yeah, I'll be fine with Jonathan. Uh, here, thank you. That's the itinerary. Thanks. Uh, Jonathan knows where everything is, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I do. So he, he basically was grilling me the whole time. He would tell me, all right, so here's this experiment I tried. Here's this crazy thing I did. But he wouldn't tell me why. He loved seeing if I could figure out what he was trying to do with, with whatever experiment it was or whatever it was. Right. So he was in it. I realized it years later, 
he was testing me. He was kind of just testing my intelligence and seeing where I was at. And, and I passed enough, essentially, right? It wasn't an exam. He was, he was just sharing his passion for life and interesting ideas. And the fact that I could follow his train of thought and then go, were you kind of doing something like this? And he goes, exactly. That's exactly it. It's valuable to be able to appreciate people's strong suits, right? So, so recognizing that this person is a genius, that he, my goodness, the intellect on this person is staggering and then being able to hold your own. It's, it's nice to be around somebody who can get it, right? So that's a, another huge dimension to uh, mentors and instructors and teachers. Teachers want a student. Teachers want students who can be taught. If you find a student who has an aptitude for the, the domain of, of information or excellence that you've devoted your life to, and you find somebody who's got the spark too, you will do anything to help foster their passion for that topic, right? So Absolutely. A yeah, a huge part of finding a coach or a mentor is being coachable. A mentor is not somebody that you have in your corner to debate with or argue why you're right. And, and that's how a lot of people ruin a potentially valuable relationship, right? It's like, oh, uh, that information you just gave me, here's seven reasons why I think it's wrong. And okay. the mentor goes, oh, okay, well, then uh, you're ignoring the one reason it's right. And you've just told me that you're not ready to hear what I have to share you. So I think that'll be everything that I have to, to show you. Okay, there's the door. Yeah. Jonathan, let me ask you this. So give us, what's the, uh, the definition of a mentalist? What is a mentalist for those that don't know, that are listening and don't know? Oh, man. Uh, it's <laughs> basically, it's somebody who uses their five senses to create the appearance of having a sixth sense. Uh, yeah. That's one definition. The other definition that I like is imagine a magician that graduated to mind reading tricks. So the, the third way I like to explain it is I use applied psychology to, to create convincing demonstrations of mind to mind communication, even though I'm not genuinely psychic. Mm. So like David Blaine, for example, just based on what you just said, he sounds like he's kind of in the middle, a little bit of both. Exactly. He's, he's kind of a bizarre magician, right? But he, he's, not the, he's not a children's show entertainer. Like, I yeah. wouldn't hire him for a five-year-old's birthday party, and nor would he allow you to hire him, right? Yeah. Like, he, he knows what he's about, and he's about freaking people out. Yeah. <laughs> using using magic, um, mentalists are are kind of their their own animal, um, because just like, well, here's another difference: is a magician does something, and then people freak out and go, "How did you do that?" 
a mentalist will do what they do. And then people freak out and go, how did you know that? Because magicians do tricks with objects and they defy the, the physical laws of nature, right? They make a tiger suddenly appear. They make metal go through metal. They, they can do all these things that violate the physical principles that govern our reality. So they can bend nature to their will. So in an archetype way, it's, it's the avatar of um, the human's ability to exercise their will on reality. And then a mentalist is more of a kind of an abstract information wizard. Right? They, they can reach inside the most private place in the universe, which is your mind, and reveal all of your deepest, darkest secrets. So they're deeply unsettling, right? They, they can't make metal go through metal. They can't make a tiger appear. But they are an expert in the world's most interesting topic, and that's you. Hmm. So just as an example, <laughs> I remember watching, you know, one of David Blaine's, you know, shows, and he was, you know, talking to someone, I don't know if it was, I can't remember if it was a male or female, and he asked him to pick a number between one and a thousand. Now, I get between one and ten and guessing the number, and so the person picked the number, and then he's looking, you know, at him real intently, and he guessed the number. Now, I'm watching TV, so I don't know how real it is, but the ability to do that, would that be... Was that a mentalist type ability to guess whatever number that person picked between one and a thousand? Yes, yes. Uh, and now we're, we're getting into kind of the nature of meaning, believe it or not, right? So uh, here's, here's why. You just mentioned, all right, we're, we're watching television, television, so I don't know exactly what it is that I'm watching. So already you, you understand that the context influences a lot of how you understand whatever it is that you're experiencing, right? Yes. So you go, well, it might just be a, a camera trick. It might just be a paid actor. I can tell you I am really good friends with uh, his, his top people. It's not just camera tricks. Like, it, it's amazing stuff that, that he can do, right? But the context of a magician doing a mind-reading trick is still a magic trick because the person watching it knows it's a magician. Even if you're watching it in real time on the street or in a theater, because the person calls themselves a magician, you go, okay, that was a cool mind reading trick. I don't know how he did it, but there's a trick to it somehow. But that's different from the context of being a mentalist who says, you know what, I've spent my entire life researching and practicing to know, one, exactly how the human mind works, and two, how to bend your mind to my perception, mm. right? That is such a different creature that people aren't as familiar with, and they go, I don't know what's going on here, but it's scary, Right? This this mentalist this mentalist guy is deeply unsettling and terrifying, but he's just so darn cute. I, I just 
uh, there's something about them, right? <laughs> so, so it's kind of like uh, there's a big umbrella of mystery entertainer, and then there's the smaller umbrella of magicians, and then over here, there's mentalist. So a magician could do a mentalist trick, but then it will be done in the context of a magic show and then will be reduced to only the potential of interesting intellectual puzzle, right? Whereas a mentalist could do the exact same demonstration, but in the context of a mentalism show and deeply unsettle people, right? And, and they don't know, is this real? Is this a, is this just a theater show? What, do I am I joining a cult now? Like, am I? I think I'm. I think I'm joining a cult, and I I kind of like it. All right, let's bring out the robes. Here we go. Right. <laughs> so so that's why it's a lot of the context of how you carry yourself, what you call yourself, the situation you're in when you're interacting with information. Right. Everything around your experience is interdependent that gives rise to how you interpret your experience's meaning, if, if that's not too far out there. No, no. You know, uh, Jonathan, it sounds like you, you'd be a great person or getting things that you want and, and understanding how people work because you've done so much study in the psychology and how people react to what they're perceiving. So you'd imagine based on that information, having that, you're, you know, it's probably why you, you work so well with people because you're, you're so understanding of how they're going to respond to what they're experiencing. Exactly. And, and what we call that is theory of mind. And it's, it's understanding somebody else's viewpoint and being able to project your mind, your, your imagination, to their perspective, their experience, and how they're seeing the world, be able to imagine living through that, and then understanding what their assumptions would be, what their preferences are, what their needs are, and then with that context, framing what it is that you want out of the interaction with this person as the most desirable outcome for them by putting it in terms of their value structure. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like uh, if you're going in for a job interview, of course you want the job because it pays you lots of money. Right? That's like, hell, that's my intrinsic motivator. Like I, I like money. I like paying for things and I like paying for really expensive things. So that's, that's what I want, right? I, I know money's not an intrinsic motivator. I get it. But anyway, for the, the, the point of the example, right? Uh, so, so of course the person who has the job understands that money is a big part of why you would say yes to this, but that in no way tells them whether or not you are in alignment with their values. Are you going to show up on time? Are you part of the company culture? Do you believe in the product? Can you actually do what it is you say you can do? Right? Those are all the values that they need to see in order to give you what it is that you want. So that's what I love about like, a free market, a free association. The only way that, that you can get wealthy 
in a truly free, voluntary-based dynamic is by creating stuff that other people want. Otherwise, you're going to have to force them to. So you've got to be a mind reader. You've got to figure out, all right, what can I do that other people want and would exchange dollars for? So you're rewarded by how well you can understand the market and how the people of the market are thinking. So this kind of way of seeing the world is, is doubly reinforced by getting everything you could ever want solely by understanding how you can help other people get what they want. That's a really good point. And so let me ask you with, with regards to the different, I mean, I have so many questions. Oh my goodness. Okay. So <laughs> Lay them take, on a me, baby. take a deep breath. Huh? Okay. All right. So <laughs> I'm just wondering, as you were talking, I was thinking about the music industry and that you have someone that comes out and, and let's just say they were uh, 17 and so their first album was just a smashing success because it was 17 years of their life to make that. And then they have that sophomore slump. And then, you know, they kind of ebb and flow in the industry and then either leave or they have to reinvent themselves. But one of the arguments that they usually hear is, well, someone else, so-and-so is selling and you've got to do this now. I mean, what you did yesterday was fine and dandy. Uh, what I'm, the reason why I was bringing up that parallel because I was just wondering mm-hmm. when you deal with large groups of people, how do you determine what percentage wants to see the shock and awe versus being the intellectually intrigued? Oh, that, that's those are two really good questions. Um, the I'll, the second one first uh, is the shock and awe versus something else. Um, I tell them what they want to experience. And then I am so confident that that is what they want to experience. And I have the competence to successfully lead them to that conclusion that they are entirely comfortable going along for that experience. So, so that's kind of, I don't really care what they want <laughs> because they don't know what a mind reading show should look like. They don't know what an email campaign should look like. They don't know what a social media marketing campaign should look like. They don't know what a good website should look like. All they know is whether or not they like what it is they're currently experiencing. Right? So it's your job to know where you're going to take your audience, not to listen to your audience. That's a really good point. So that's the first thing. But the first question now is the kind of pointing to the sophomore slump. And here's what the real issue is. It's a management issue. And here's why. They've had 17 years to live everything that creates their phenomenal start album that is just so innovative and so them. They've put everything into this album, and that's the secret. They've put everything into the album. They distilled 17 years into one experience, and now you want them to do a lifetime's worth of work next year, mm-hmm. right? Where, where yeah. do you get 17 years in 12 months? Mm. 
The only way you can do it is by outsourcing other people's time. So that's why you get more writers on board. You get more creative consultants. You get people who are phenomenal writers and lyricists, but may not be a great performer who will collaborate and help the project, but the project is your star character. Make sense? Yeah. We're here but, in Atlanta. We're here in Atlanta, Jonathan, and it, it's, uh, we have a huge music movie industry that's burgeoning. I mean, this would be yeah. a huge podcast to share with them because there's a lot of pitfalls that you are able to see from a, a 40,000-foot view that they are not seeing and they're repeating these bad habits. Right, right. And, and it's plain as day when you know what it is you're looking at. But when you go, I got the solution, if they don't even think they have a problem, well, your solution isn't so useful then, is it? Right? Mm-hmm. But once, once they start to integrate other artists and, and collaborate with people, that's the beginning of their management career, of managing their creative output and collaborating with others. So it's the first time they've had to do that because maybe the first 17 years of their life, they did everything on their own. They're not used to working with other people. So they're not used to working specifically with this person to get that person's best work and then dealing with this person a different way to get that person's best work as it will serve your character. So then that's why they get the sophomore slump, but then they go, well, that was a train wreck. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Next time, I'm not going to make those same mistakes. But now they make new mistakes, but fewer of them. And then every iteration gets better and better because they know how to work together more effectively. And then from the public's point of view, boy, they're just getting better and better. Wow. But it's not them getting better and better. It's the team that's behind the scenes that is working together more effectively to create higher quality work. Staying in that vein, Jonathan, so what's your opinion on, in this example, the artist working with another artist? Like I, I can, I'm getting an offer for two different uh, companies. One is from maybe my idol, and he has a record label versus a management company that is used to running systems? What would be ideal for that artist trying to make that decision? Yeah, that, that is a tough either or. Um, if you're going to force me to go one or the other, that is tough because uh, what's that saying? Amateurs have goals. Professionals have systems. So mm-hmm. a management company that has systems, you're like, man, they already have a proven system and – I'll just be the turbo juice that makes it work. I won't have to be a mechanic. I won't have to be an engineer and figure this stuff out on my own. I'll just do what I do best and let the people who are good at that part do what they're good at. Okay, that, that's kind of awesome. Versus the, the idol offering an opportunity to collaborate, that has a lot to do with it too. So for me, my decision-making matrix of how do I say yes to what I want? Well, I say no to almost everything else all the time. Like, I'm not busy. I'm never busy. 
because I want to have time free to say yes to this huge opportunity that will require everything of me. And if I'm too busy with, with the, the crap, right? If I'm just doing busy work and now I have to say no to this phenomenal opportunity, I would kick myself forever, right? Mm. So I don't, I don't book myself up with busy work. So here's, here's kind of how I decide what to say yes to. It has to have at least two of these three things. So I think of it as like the iron triangle of work. I have to be passionate about it, right? It has to be something that I'm naturally already interested in. If it's something that I couldn't care less about, well then, eh, okay, that's a swing and a miss on that one, right? So it's got to be something I'm passionate about. Then there's got to be pay. It has to be worth my time, right? Doing stuff for free is great, but the weird thing is your bills keep piling up no matter how much you love doing whatever it is that you're doing. So you've got to, to be able to pay the bills, right? So pay is the second thing. The third thing is prestige. Is this prestigious? Is this something that I would want to be associated with? Is this a, a shining pinnacle and a beacon of, of human integrity and worth and everybody will think better of me for having been involved, right? So prestige. So having all three of those is ideal. That would be fantastic. But at bare minimum, everything I say yes to has to have two of them. So if it's prestige and no pay, well, then it should probably be something I'm passionate about. Because if you only have one of those three things, you're just going to phone it in. You're not going to care about it and you'll actively harm your reputation for not doing good work. You think you would be able to do excellent work, but you're just not going to be invested in it in a, in a literal sense. You're not going to be invested in doing your best work. And then that's the work that people see you doing, and you're actively undermining your own value by, by allowing yourself to do things that you're, that you're not passionate about, that aren't prestigious, that you don't want to be associated with, and don't pay you anything. So that would be my advice to that person is which opportunity hits all three the most enthusiastically, right? That, that, that would be it. That's huge. Thank you for that. That's awesome. As you're talking, I'm just thinking of people I rub shoulders with or know a little bit about by maybe a degree of separation. And when you're talking about the applied psychology, I think of comedians, I think of salespeople, I think of pickup artists. And I was wondering, mm -hmm. are there certain uh, threads that you're seeing with the commonality within different groups or are the other groups that you tend to, like you said, spend most of your time with that you, you're getting part of that decision matrix done? I had just recently watched uh, Jerry Seinfeld where he does that comedians and cars thing. And he was interviewing Dave Chappelle and, and they were like, who do you hang around with? And he was like, other comedians, you know, steel, sharp and steel. So I was just wondering what, when you're doing your decision matrix, who do you, who do you spend most of your time with? 
And do you find similarities across the different industries I talked about? Yeah. Um, first is who do I spend most of my time around people who could hire me? <laughs> nice. Right. Go be where they are. Go spend time with those people and then demonstrate that you're valuable to them. And then they'll throw money at you. That's kind of cool. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's who you should spend a majority of your time around. Um, on the other level is on a professional level. Yeah. You, you hang out with other really high level performers, uh, elite performers in whatever your area of specialty is so that it's kind of like everybody's going to have an opinion, but not everybody's opinion matters because their opinion may not be valuable, right? So the opinion of some random person isn't nearly as valuable to me as the opinion to an elite performer in the mentalism world who understands what it is I'm trying to do, the, the goal of my show, the goal of any of my projects, who's been there, done that, that person's insight and opinion is going to be so much more valuable to me than just some dude off the street, right? So in that way, I, like, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on a, another point is it can also be dangerous to only hang around people from your industry. Get out of my head, Jonathan. That was my next question, buddy. <laughs> yeah, because it's like hang out with few insanely high-value people from your domain, but you're going to find more opportunity, more creativity, more innovation by exposing yourself to more experience. The more varied experiences you have as a person, the broader your range of of ideas and, and uh, experience you can draw on to synthesize new ideas and new approaches to things that may have been around forever, but this is a new take on it because it's a new situation that you just experienced, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what's the, the common thread to all of this, uh, the pickup artists, comedians, whoever, they're phenomenal communicators. That's the, the heart of it, is they're phenomenal communicators. And I would put magicians as the best for this reason. They have to do everything that a comedian does. They have to set up jokes, knock them down. They have to be surprising and entertaining and likable. They've got to do what an improv person does, take suggestions from the audience. But they do it even in a more difficult way. They bring audience members up on stage. Who knows what that person's going to do? So now you've got to manage an even more terrifying dynamic than improv comedians do, right? Add to that, they've got to be doing things and look like they're not doing anything. So I like to say it's like they're trying to play an invisible piano while looking like they're standing still, right? So you can't see how the trick works. So there are all these dimensions going on at exactly the same time, but the audience is only experiencing, boy, he just made magic happen, right? Cool. So if, if any one of those dimensions of the experience is out of alignment or 
incompetent or doesn't go exactly perfectly right, the whole thing doesn't work. And now you saw how the magic trick worked and he's a hack. Mm. So that's why if you want to be a better communicator, learn how to do a magic trick. Just learn a very simple magic trick. And it will be one of the most frustrating experiences of your life because you're going to read the instructions and go, this makes no sense, right? So you're struggling from the start. But then you get it and you go, oh, okay, I, I understand. And then you do exactly what the instructions told you to do, but your buddy goes, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, that didn't work. And then you realize that doing the right thing isn't enough. Doing the right thing the right way is the only way it works. So you're going to experience a lot of frustration in that process, and then you'll realize how awful a communicator you are, even though you think you're great, but you're not. You just know how to talk a lot. <laughs> so communicating and talking are two completely different animals, even though they're, they're mistaken for the other often. So I don't want any guys listening to this to get mad at their parents for throwing away their magic sets when they were 10. You yeah. still have a chance to come back and retrieve it. You, you grew out of the phase, all right? You grew out of it. It's not their fault. It's your fault. You stopped because it was nerdy. I don't want to be a dork. Like, you know what? Well, now the dork gets everything, right? Because the dork right. knows how to make them seen as valuable and get everything in the world. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Catch up. Nice spin there. <laughs> So, Jonathan, let me ask you this. Well, so what does your, your family think of you? And, and when I ask that, I'm, I don't mean in a bad way, but I'm sure, you know, like as you said, you never had any ideas uh, when you were growing up, you know, in the mountains of North Carolina that you'd be where you're at right now. And so I, I imagine maybe your family or your parents probably didn't think that either. So how do, how, how do they, you know, flow with where you're at right now? In In a way they don't know how they're just like you make no sense like how the hell are you our son because <laughs> i don't i don't know how we made this like what happened right yeah. and, and that's not in a, like a negative way it's just a what <laughs> it's like my my whole life growing up my my dad was a, a pastor on sundays and he worked a factory job like he worked, like his job was standing on concrete 12 hours a day, three days on, two days off, two days on, three days off, right? That kind of swing schedule um, or whatever that swing schedule comes out to be. But yeah, so, so he worked at a factory, sometimes night shift, sometimes day shift. He did whatever he had to do to, to get us, get us grown, right? And, and we lived in a single wide trailer on a dirt road. My dad worked in factories. My mom was a, a secretary at a lawyer's office. So she worked a, an office job. And, and that's how I grew up. And now I travel the world as a mind reader. Like that makes no damn sense, right? <laughs> but, but part of it was my, my dad understood how tough doing what it is that you're drawn to do really is. 
right? Cause he, he was called to be a pastor. Like he, he, that was his life's calling. The Lord called him to, to share the ministry, right? But it's really hard to do that. <laughs> so he had to work a factory job to make that dream happen. So in a way, he was like, look, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's tough. And, and life would be easier if you just went the standard route, but there's no way I'm going to tell you not to follow your dreams if there's a chance it'll work. Yeah. So that, so they never had uh, either my, my mom or my dad, not one of them ever said, all right, son, you gotta be, you gotta be reasonable you should get a degree in business and, and work at a bank because that'll be the, the way to a happy life. They were just like, nah, son, whatever, like, whatever you want to do, you're on this planet once, so have fun with it. Go for it. And if, if it doesn't work, then you can get a normal job, whatever. But then you will at least have known. So the older I get, the, the more flabbergasted I am at how I lucked out with my parents, right? Because I didn't have that uh, stop playing with the devil cards and like whatever. It's like gr- grow up, all right? Nobody can be a magician for a living, all right? That's just Vegas fantasy stuff, right? Just stop it. Just leave us alone. Uh, stop bothering us with those card tricks and, and get a real job, right? They, they just supported me the, the whole time they just loved me for who I was, which was a weird kid who liked to juggle fire and, and read minds. They're like, whatever, man, go for it. If you can figure it out, more power to you. And uh, somehow I just stumbled from one thing to the next and somehow keep falling forward. So are there little kids in the family? Are they upset because in the, it's holiday season that's right around the corner and it's usually their time to shine with their little things that they're doing. And they're like, Oh man, Jonathan's going to do a magic trick. How am I going to top that? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm honest moment right here. I'm actually a horrible uncle. Like I'm an awful uncle because I'm on the road all the time. I live in Chicago. Now all of my family is still back in North Carolina. So I, I actually get to visit my family very rarely because I'm always, I'm always working, right? It's like the holidays are, are a busy season. Oh, we need something different this year at the company holiday party. Let's bring in a mind reader. I'm like, all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so I actually, I don't see my family as often as some people might think you should. <laughs> that, cool. That's how I'm going to put it. Sure. I, I can resonate with that. I think that's fine. Uh, I, I do want to stay in that same vein, what you said with your parents, and, and that was a blessing and letting you kind of breathe and do your own thing. I wanted to ask, because in your book, you also talk about improving your business, what we've been talking about and solving problems, but what about relationships where, you know, you, you're, you're, she filled your grid initially with you being passionate about her and you want to spend your time so that could be the pay. Uh, there is prestige because maybe you know she she you know makes your heart flutter and and so you're positioned around her but you're you, like you're, you're not saying, embarrassed you're... to bring her around your friends <laughs> <laughs> no because you love her man and they just don't understand your love 
<laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, at some point they they use not they. I don't want to make a generalization, but there's some some level of hey, you know what, this is great initially, but now I want to put down roots and and I don't know about this lifestyle that you're living anymore. Has that ever happened, or what would you? How would you approach that? The way I would approach that is I would self-destruct my life. I would make sure to cheat on my wife and then uh, hit the self-destruct button as hard and quickly as possible so that the divorce happens very early in the relationship when uh, you know, things aren't the way that, that you thought they were. And I'm not speaking hypothetically. I am speaking literally. <laughs> so that was my approach, all right? I am not saying that that is the best way to do it. And if I had to do it again, I would find a new way to ruin it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the biggest part of that is getting into a relationship you think you should be in, mm-hmm. right? It, it matches all the criteria, but for some reason in the back of your head, you're going, this is not a good idea. But there's no logical reason why not to. So then you go, that's just cold feet. I should shut up and do what I should do, which I've been told by society, my friends, all of my family loves her. So if I were going to make the smart choice, this would be it. So this is the choice I'm going to make. But deep down inside, you're going, yeah, I don't want this. There's only so long you can lie to yourself because you're too smart to believe it. So you can only play along for so long, and then you got to break out. And the way I did that <laughs> was by being a real bastard. So I wouldn't advise that. I, I accrued a lot of negative karma doing it that way. I, I would... I don't want to see anybody else do it that way, although it is effective. <laughs> but that's, that's exactly what happened was, um, you know, oh, okay, so, so you've, you've been doing the, this mentalism thing. You go to open mic nights. You, it's, it's a fun passion, but you're, you're working at Walt, Walt Disney World. You're working at Universal Studios demonstrating magic. You're making really good money taking these tourists' dollars. And it's awesome. So it's a steady job. All right. But you're home all the time. That's great. And then I got the opportunity to, uh, well, I, I created the opportunity to go on tour with a full-time magician in the college market for a year and a half. So then I go on tour with him and I'm gone all the time for like a week or two at a time. So I'm gone more than I'm home. So rightly so she goes you know this isn't what i signed up for like i i thought you were going to be around and now you're gone and you leave me to deal with all the the day-to-day stuff and you're home and it's a whirlwind and it's great to see you but then you're gone and then i'm left with with everything still so this isn't really what uh this isn't really what i signed up for and and in my mind, and with my face hole, I said, <laughs> I was like, you know, this magic and mentalism stuff has been with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. It has provided everything I've ever wanted 
in life and will continue to do so. And you're asking me to give it up. So that is an unreasonable request. And I'm never going to do that. So if it gets down to an either or, you know which one I'm choosing. Which I'm, I'm not in the school of, of uh, you know, beating around the bush or mollycoddling people and being like, oh, it'll be all right. And be like, no, man, you done screwed up and it's going to be horrible, horrific, painful the whole time. And you caused it. So let's get you out of this, this ditch as quickly as we can, as, as effectively as we can. But don't forget, it's your fault you're here. <laughs> so... So yeah, I'm not a I'm not a uh, soft delivery kind of person. <laughs> I will say, uh, since there's Godwinks all around us, and you highlighted a number of them, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But at this point, I would love to give a shout out to both David Letterman and to um, uh, what's his name? Oh man, I just forgot uh, George Clooney because he, George Clooney was on the David Letterman show on Netflix, and both of these guys lived their life to their truth, as you were saying, and it still turned out with a nice bow at the end. They still got the girl at the end, and it, it was on the time that was right for them without any type of uh, concessions. And so I foresee that happening to you as well, Jonathan. Yeah, well, uh, well <laughs> Who's listening out there? Like, who's your <laughs> ideal? Because I want to, I want to know which direction to take this because, um, <laughs> because it's, it's. If you want to get real, it, it has like, the divorce was awful. Uh, yeah. Sleeping on my buddy's couch for like nine months was awful. The, the financial hole I dug myself into with awful choices was awful. However, it's been fun the whole time. <laughs> I would not recommend doing life my way, all right? Having said that, I, I've always gotten the girl. Like, I've always been able to talk to people and get along well and, and get to date amazing, amazing, wonderful people. Like, I don't... I don't uh, I'm, people are always amazed at who I date. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, she's gorgeous and a brain surgeon. What? Like that, mm-hmm. that kind of, that kind of thing. It's like, man, I got the gift of gab. I'm talented. I'm incredibly smart. I just don't have a lot of money because I, I made stupid choices and got divorced. Yeah. So, right. So I got passion. I got prestige. <laughs> right. So, so uh, getting getting the girl hasn't ever been a uh, a problem area with me, aside from being a problem of getting the girl, right? Right. Let me ask you. I, getting, I love the way this is going. This this is awesome, and and we're gonna have to have you back because geez, the hour flew by. But I, I want to ask before we we part ways. I, I want to get your opinion on this MGTOW, this men going their own way. I mean, on one end, it seems like they're thrown in the towel where you're, you've kind of licked your wounds and you're still out there playing, playing the game, that is. Uh, are you familiar with that, that community at all? I am. Um, dude, okay. 
Um, <laughs> this is the real interview now. <laughs> I, now we're just getting going because now we're actually <laughs> digging into the real stuff. All right, the fluff is out there. Um, oh shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've I've been technically homeless, right? Where I've lived in my car because shit just fell through, and I was I was just sleeping in my car because that was the easiest thing to do. All right. Mm-hmm. I was still dating amazing women. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a huge part of of a lot of people's hesitance to engage with the opposite sex, men specifically, is we're obligated to pay for everything, and I'm just going to opt out because um, because they're, we're going to get married, and then I'm going to lose everything in the divorce, and I'm just I'm not even going to play because the deck is so stacked against me, right? Be like, look, man, I was broke. I couldn't even afford a place to stay, and I was getting meals for free. I flipped that script, son. Right? <laughs> like, I. All right, the deck is stacked. Let me deal, and then I'll I'll be a card mechanic. I will cheat that deck so hard that there's no way you could play a straight game with it. Right? So right. it's just people be like, well. I don't know how to play cards. I don't know how to count cards. I don't know what makes a winning hand. So I'm just, instead of learning how to play cards, I'm just going to play checkers instead. That's, that's my feel of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas you could, one, learn how to play cards, or two, spend years learning sleight of hand and make it look invisible and stack the deck in your favor. Mm-hmm. Right, that's playing. That's playing the game on easy mode, man. Like, learn to do that. Like, yeah, beat and the that, house. Beat the house. That's, that's <laughs> what I appreciate because you know I I was hesitant to even bring out the MGTOW because this is intrinsic motivation. So I figured you were a contrarian to that and throwing in that throwing in your cards, like you said. It's kind of like I can flip it and and play the game my, on my own with my own rules. Yep. Yeah. And, and what it is at the core is allowing self-defeating beliefs to eliminate you from some of the most fun you could have while you're alive. Mm-hmm. That's it. You, the, they believe their own, their own promo, right? That's, that's usually the first sign that a, that a performer is going to tank soon is when they mm-hmm. believe their own hype. I'm the best there ever was. I'm, you're like, oh, okay, all right. They're, they're going to spiral out real soon. There ain't nobody that can tell me wrong, right? Just like, well, mm-hmm. okay, enjoy your ride down. <laughs> so that's what believing your own promo means. So to me, it's that they, they've bought into this defeatist mindset and philosophy so fully that they don't, they don't even play to lose. They just don't play at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas, Brohim, you can win. You can do it. Believe in yourself. You can do it. You just haven't had the appropriate learning strategies on how to how to spend your time. That's that's all it is. That's all it is, man. Well, so, before when 
we started talking before we got on the podcast, we were talking about um, peacocking and, and spreading our feathers. So to those folks that are listening that may be thinking about not even playing altogether, that's just more for David, Jonathan, and I. And so if that's not incentive for you to get mad at us. (laughs) Well, let let me lay it out this way. Okay. Um, All right. There are people who really don't like magic tricks. They just really don't like magic. Like, ugh, magic's for kids, and I don't even think kids like it, right? So for whatever reason, they, they don't like it. All right. Most people really like magic tricks. They just don't know it. They, they don't like bad magic tricks, just like you don't like the guy that just learned to play guitar this week, shows up at the party, and is like, hey, let me play Wonderwall for you. Everybody's going to hate that asshole, all right? So I get it. <laughs> most magic that people have seen is awful, so you don't like most magic. But you actually like really good magic. Okay. Now, magic is powerful. It's amazing. It can transport people to the land of, of wonder and ama- right, all that kind of cool stuff, right? All right. Yep. So it has its phenomenal power. Now... Because it's this phenomenal power, people automatically, rightly, logically assume that how it works is just as powerful, if not more powerful and more interesting. But really, most magic works because it's not floating, it's on a string. Wait, that's it? That's the whole thing. It's 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 on a stupid string? That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's not actually defying gravity. It's uh, it's just floating. It's a uh, it's a string. <laughs> what? Right? And then people get really upset when you tell them how the magic trick works. They get genuinely upset. And and it's not just a just a oh okay, they they get really upset. And I realized. I realized what it was, right? And it's that they, they're going through the five stages of denial, right, or of grief, right? So they're going through the five stages of grief, which is the first is denial. They go, no, that, that can't be it. No, it has to be something. It, it, can't, that can't, it can't just be on a string. And then they get angry. I bet you think I'm an idiot because I thought it was floating. How dare you lied to me? And then it's bargaining. Oh, no, it has to be something else. It's got to be like electromagnets or something. And then it's depression. Oh, my God, magic is, is, it's all a lie. It's all fake. Oh, they're just lying to me. And then you accept it and you go, you know what? It's still kind of, it's actually a lot of fun. And it makes me laugh. And I don't know how they do that trick specifically. So, you know what? I can accept it for what it is. Most of the, the men go their own way, folks, are just stuck in the anger phase of waking up to how the world actually works. Mm. So they just spiral out into their anger at why wasn't I told this earlier, the world shouldn't be like this. Uh, it is. So deal with it, accept it, and move on and, and draw your strategies accordingly, right? So... Most of the people who who just choose to disengage from the whole game to begin with are just opting out at stage two of a five-stage process. So so they're the person that loses out. And uh, yeah, yeah, there there's a lot there's a lot to to life 
that you can enjoy if you accept it the way that it is instead of living in the world of should and then you can now enjoy reality and spend your time and resources the most effective way possible. Mm-hmm. But acceptance is the, the first step to making life awesome. But you got to get through the denial, anger, bargaining, and depression to get there. Nice. And you saw what I just did there, Jonathan? I identified a problem, and I think the solution would be your book, potentially. Oh, I think so. What a fantastic, <laughs> seamless segue. I didn't even see that coming. That was amazing. <laughs> Speaking of segues, I hate carrots. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad segue. Just uh, for people at home, that is how not to do it. You now have a good example, bad example. But uh, yes, so uh, speaking of things that people could give money for, um, <laughs> I, I, crammed, I crammed the 20 years of experience of, of getting divorced, dating amazing people, even when I'm broke and traveling the world and, and all this stuff. It's a self-help book disguised as not self-help, right? Because it's uh, like, who doesn't want to know what the life of a rock star world traveling entertainer is like so it's all the 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 best mindset and success principles that i've leveraged in my own life to go from living in that trailer to to travel in the world and and how those principles apply in everybody's life so yeah uh, if you if you're halfway interested go to thinklikeamindreader.com and there you can see the reviews I've gotten on Amazon. It's at 4.9 star, 4. stars on Amazon, all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so you can find the book there, 260-something pages of the finest mindset technologies you'll ever find anywhere. And also you can find the video course, which is three and a half plus hours of mind-bending ideas that will help uh, help you design exactly the life that you want to live. So, yeah, if uh, you want to give me money, that's the best place to do it and get the most value out of it. Very nice, very nice. David, any other questions for Jonathan? Um, we covered a lot. <laughs> I think you're right. We're going to have to have a <laughs> We <list>. went everywhere. <laughs> we, 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 we oh, one question before you go, Jonathan. Um, since you're all over the world, are, are, are there any opportunities to have your schedule uh, publicly listed on your site so, you know, people around the country nope. or around the world? Uh, Sadly, no, uh, because almost all of my work is for, uh, like, private clients and, and companies and corporations. Like, I work for BP, State Farm, Coldwell Banker. Uh, they They bring me in for their national leadership conferences and investor conferences will bring me in as a keynote speaker. So almost all of my work is, is private stuff only. Um, but if, if you're on my radar and I know where you are and I happen to be coming through your town, I, uh, I'm really good about giving people a heads up and going, Hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's, let's grab lunch. Um, so for, for, my mind reading work, not usually. Um, so the best thing to do is just follow me on Twitter, the underscore Pritchard. And if on the rare occasion I have a public show, that, that's where I would put it. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Jonathan, man. Oh, my goodness. I feel like I know you, dude. We finish each other's sentences and all that. <laughs> in a platonic way. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Seinfeld. <laughs> but listen, I'm in the entertainment world. There ain't nothing you're going to freak me out with. <laughs> <laughs> It was a pleasure. We definitely have to have you on. Let's stay in touch. Thank you so much for just letting me uh, rattle on. I I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Cheers. Easy. Listen to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective on Radio Public. It's a free, easy-to-use app that helps listeners like you find and support shows like ours. When you listen to our show on Radio Public, we receive direct financial support every time you hear an episode. Experience our show and Radio Public today by listening to the show link in our episode notes, and thank you for listening.